are listening to a Commonwealth Bank of Australia Global Economic and Markets Research Podcast. This podcast provides general market-related information and is not intended to be an investment research report. The information contained in this podcast is based on previously published material, and before listening, you're advised to read the full Global Economic and Markets Research Disclaimers, which can be found at combankresearch.com.au. Hello and welcome to the Commonwealth Bank's Global Economic and Markets Research Podcast. My name's Gareth Ed. I'm the Bank's Head of Australian Economics and thanks very much for listening to our podcast. Uh, today I have with me three fellow economists and also members of the Australian Economics team, which means the entire team that covers the Australian economy is on the line. Uh, we've got Belinda Allen, Christina Clifton and Stephen Wu. And we're going to talk about a few very important but also different topics today based on a few research papers that were published over the week. Now, one of those topics is very much in focus for financial markets at the moment, and that is inflation. Uh, Christina and Steve had a deep dive into the housing component of the CPI. And the other topic, which isn't really a focus for markets, but I think it's a really important part of the Australian economy, and that is education exports. So Belinda has taken a detailed look at education exports, which are one of our largest export sectors, and clearly it's a part of the Australian economy that has been significantly impacted by the pandemic. So we'll start today with a look at housing and the CPI. So first, can I welcome you, Christina and Steve, and and ask you both how you're going? Yeah, good, thank you. Just uh, glad that we're allowed out and about a bit more now. Glad to be out of lockdown and looking forward to the weekend as well. Absolutely. And I should just say for all our listeners, we're, we're here in New South Wales, so um, everyone's very much looking forward to the first weekend in, in a long time where we can get out and about. Um, look, Steve and Christina, lots of focus on inflation at the moment, um, both here and globally. I think our views on inflation have been well telegraphed, and we think core inflation will print within the RBA's target ban next year and, and by the middle of the target ban by mid-2023. Um, one of the things we think will drive inflation higher is the housing component of the CPI, uh, which is worth around 23% of the bar- basket, but it doesn't include dwelling prices per se in the way we think of the housing market. Um, so, Christina, I might kick it off with you, and can I just ask you to explain briefly what is in the housing component of the CPI? Yes, yeah, so uh, there are a couple of subcategories in that housing component. Uh, the biggest subcategory is one called uh, new dwelling purchases by owner occupiers. Uh, it's basically measuring uh, the price of building a new home but excluding land value. So it's taking into account material costs and also uh, labour costs in building a new home. Uh, also within that housing category, we've got a measure of rent. Uh, we've also got a measure of uh, utilities uh, that households spend their money on and also um, a measure of uh, the, the cost of um, repairing and maintaining dwellings. Yeah, look, that, that home construction part of the CPI is, I think, a really interesting one at the moment. Um, you know, a lot of people are aware that the cost of building a home has been going up pretty significantly, yet it's not really showing up in the CPI. Can you just sort of unpack uh, what we've seen over the, over the COVID period with regards to that part of the CPI and, and where we think it may be going? Yeah, there has been a lot going on uh, within that new dwelling purchases component. Uh, So what we've seen is that there has been very 
strong demand for new housing. So that's largely down to uh, that federal government home builder grant scheme uh, and also similar state-based grants in WA and Tasmania uh, and also just very low interest rates. So that has uh, driven up demand for new housing. Uh, and as a result, we've seen some really strong listing prices for home building materials. Uh, we've also seen those strong lifts because of very strong demand overseas as well. Uh, and also strong shipping costs. Uh, we've also seen some shortages in the construction sector and um, they've added to labour costs as well. Um, so in underlying terms, uh, we have seen quite a strong lift in, in prices of new homes. Uh, but what's also going on is those grants are measured in the CPI. Uh, they're taken into account uh, and that is holding down inflation in that category. I think it's worth sort of making the point for our listeners that um, you know, the CPI is actually measuring the prices that are paid um, by consumers rather than you know, the prices that are actually received by the builders. And you know, I'll, I'll let you go here, but that, I think that's kind of the key point that, um, that you're, you're making. Yeah, that's right. So the CPI is capturing the final price paid by the consumer. Yeah. Uh, so it is capturing that lithium materials prices, then it's also um, overlaying that with the grant. Uh, and so once you take that grant into the into account, uh, the prices are, are a lot softer. Um, so if we want to think about the outlook, we've got to think about what's going to happen uh, with that grant and how long that's going to impact on the calculations. Uh, and we also have to think about the the outlook for materials prices uh, and labour costs as well. Uh, just thinking about that grant, uh, it is paid very early in the construction process. Uh, and new homes tend to be built uh, fairly soon after they're approved. Uh, so we think that that uh, home builder grant will continue to impact on the CPI uh, through the rest of 2021. Uh, but as we go into 2022, uh, Pretty much the bulk of those homes that were approved under these grant schemes will have already commenced building and then that grant uh, won't have a very big impact on the CPI anymore. So through 2022, it's going to be the outlook for materials prices and for labour uh, that's most important. Uh, and it looks like demand for new homes is, is still holding up very well. Uh, so we're likely to see materials prices remain strong through 2023, sorry, 2022, uh, and it's likely we're going to see some stronger wages pressures in the construction sector. So that's going to add to uh, the prices of building a new home as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so as we go through next year, we'll, we'll start to see some upward pressure on the on the CPI itself um, coming through from that from that component. Um, Steve, I, I might bring you in here now to. Um, to talk a little bit, little bit about what's happening in the rental space. Um, you know, I think quite disparate outcomes around the country, depending on on where where you are. Um, you know, what's what's the official data saying on rents at the moment, and how does that kind of relate to what we're seeing um, on our internal data with regards to the the rents that uh, households are paying at the moment? Yeah, that's right. So rents is a really important component of the CPI, and we've seen as well that the pandemic has had quite significant impacts on rents being paid. So last year, as the pandemic unfolded, there were many measures that were put in place to assist renters who, you know, because of lockdowns, couldn't, you know, work or couldn't really earn an income and they, and they may have struggled to pay rent. And so these measures, like, you know, one-off rent reductions or rent-free period, um, meant that rent paid 
um, actually reduced, and we saw um, the first quarterly fall in rents as recorded in the CPI. Uh, that being said, though, there have been divergent trends in rents across the states and territories. So in the latest data, uh, which is for the June quarter this year, we saw rents rise nationally by 0.1% in the quarter. But there were falls in Sydney and Melbourne while they were actually rising in other capital cities. So in some sense, there's a bit of a two-speed rental market going on. And one reason for these differences across states has to do with the demand for rental properties and that's essentially population growth. Uh, so for instance, um, in, in Melbourne, um, we've actually seen that uh, population has fallen since the start of the pandemic. Um, and, and at the same time, we've also seen as well that dwelling stock, that's both for houses and for units, have actually increased. Um, as a result of this, uh, we've seen rental vacancy rates rise sharply in Melbourne. Yeah, that's probably worth just adding there too that um, you know the, the CPI is just measuring capital city uh, changes in prices. So you know any of that extra rental inflation that's occurring in regional Australia, which looks pretty strong at the moment, uh, is not actually feeding into the CPI. But Steve, as we go through um, next year, you know international borders will reopen and, and people will start uh, arriving again. You know, what's your sort of take on where rental inflation is likely to, to go uh, as we move through 2022? Yes, right. So we think that um, looking into 2022, we'll see rental pressures building. And that's for several reasons. So one key reason, I think, is that we're seeing um, currently high and rising housing prices. And so this red-hot housing market is going to mean that potential homeowners may be being priced out of the market who will then instead choose to rent. So that will lead to stronger than otherwise rental demand. And as you mentioned as well, once we see uh, population, sorry, once you see the um, borders reopen, we should see uh, stronger population growth. Uh, and that should mean sort of an upward uh, build-up of rental pressure. That being said, though, um, we need to think as well about the, the supply side of things. So... Um, with borrowing costs likely to remain low for some time, this will be supporting residential construction. And we've already seen a big surge in the pipeline for resi construction. And so, yes, while there will be a lift in demand uh, for rents, um, for rental properties because of reopening borders, uh, we're also likely to see as well um, sort of continued growth in the dwelling stock. And so those things mean in combination we'll keep a check on rent. Yeah, look, so so a few moving parts there, but I think um, I think the upshot is having uh, having seen rents kind of being pretty weak uh, through the pandemic so far in terms of what's been captured by the CPI. Uh, from this point, they should actually be contributing a little bit to the inflationary impulse. Um, Kristen, I'll just go back to you, just just finally on on the housing side of things in the CPI. Uh, there's obviously that other component which you, which you mentioned around ut- utilities and a, and a few other things there. Is there anything in particular that's that's worth um, worth just flagging with that other part of the CPI, the housing um, part of the CPI? Yeah, so um, there is a component capturing uh, changes in prices for uh, repair and maintenance of new dwellings. Uh, and a lot of the factors that are at play in that uh, new dwelling component are also relevant for that repair and maintenance category. So in particular, uh, we're likely to see some upward pressures there because of skill shortages in the sector, 
uh, and also strong prices for materials and things that you need to do renovations and other repair work. So that's something to watch out for. Uh, within utilities, there's been some interesting movements in electricity prices, uh, largely because of a very large grant given to households in WA to support them through the pandemic. That has really dampened electricity prices. Uh, but looking a little further out to 2022-23, uh, we should see some upward pressure on electricity prices because uh, a major power station is going to be closed. So there'll be a bit of inflation coming through um, in electricity prices down the track. I don't think that's sort of good news for anybody who's got to pay a, a power bill, but, um, you know, of course, it all feeds into the mix of, of higher inflation, which is what we're expecting to see uh, as we go through next year. All right, well, look, we might uh, we might change gear here and, and have a look at something which, um, which Belinda, you um, published a note on this week, and that was around education exports. Um, yeah, this has been a, a fascinating space, really, because it's been heavily impacted by the pandemic. Um, you know, obviously, education exports are a really important um, part of our external sector, and there's lots of moving parts there. Um, so, Belinda, before we get into your note uh, around the outlook for ed- education exports and what's actually been happening, can I just get you to explain to our listeners what we're actually measuring when we're talking about education exports? Certainly. So education exports measure the total expenditure of overseas students who are studying in Australia. So it includes not only tuition fees, but also what students spend on goods and services. So it's more than just course fees, which I think surprises a few people. And what we certainly see is in 2020, tuition fees were about $13 billion and spending on goods and services for those students who are in Australia is about $19 billion. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. Um, and you can see why, um, you know, the, the, the policymakers here really want to make sure that the students actually arrive here to study because obviously, you know, they spend more money while they're here and, mm-hmm. and that all feeds into what we what we call education exports. So um, you know, there's obviously been some big shifts because of the international borders having been closed over the pandemic. What's actually happened to our education exports um, since the border closed in March last year? So we've seen quite sizable falls. So since the fourth quarter of 2019 or just before the pandemic hit uh, up until the second quarter of 2021, we did see education exports fall by 51%, but certainly the speed of the fall has accelerated in the first half of 2021. Just to put it in some context, though, tourism exports have fallen by 97% over that same period of time. So we can see that education exports have held up better than tourism exports. And that is really explained by the fact that some students switched to online learning if they weren't in the country. But also we did have a sizable cohort of students already in Australia. So they were continuing to pay tuition fees, but also, as we said earlier, continuing to spend on goods and services. But the falls have been uneven between what countries foreign students are from. So by far, China is Australia's largest source of education exports, uh, but they've also fallen the most as well. So overall, student education exports to China fell 40% in 2020, which was twice the fall of the total. That's a, it's a few really interesting points you make there. And I think um, you know the fact that tourism ex- exports have collapsed um, you know, as have tourism imports because none of us can travel, but and yet education exports, even though they've come off quite a bit, 
um, they're still contributing quite a lot to our external sector, which is kind of why we're running this big services um, trade surplus at the moment. But I think that your point around um, the drop-off in students by country is an interesting one, you know, given, um, particularly given we've got some trade issues at the moment or tensions, if you like, with China, and we've seen um, you know, students from China actually fall at a faster rate than elsewhere. Um, what do you think is going to happen, albeit that no one has a crystal ball here, but as the international border reopens and we head through, through next year, what, what do you think that's going to mean for our education uh, export sector? So there's still a lot of uncertainty, as you said, about the timing of the border reopening. We know that Australian citizens and permanent residents will be able to travel very shortly. Uh, They're saying November in New South Wales, but foreign students are not on that list. So I think there's a real uncertainty by new students looking to enrol in Australia about when they'll be able to enter the country a lot of uncertainty about whether or not they'll be able to study here in 2022. So we may not see that lift in education exports in 2022 like we would expect. Some students want to maybe have certainty about that prior to the academic year. And we have seen some diversion of students looking to study in other countries, particularly the UK, who also have very highly rated universities and good job prospects after as, as well. I think the point around trade tensions is really important. We've seen over the past 18 months a number of exports being targeted by China, coal, cotton, uh, barley, beef, wine, uh, rock lobsters. Uh, There's around six that have been heavily targeted. We don't know if education exports would have been targeted if there hadn't been the pandemic and borders had been closed. So I think there is a bit of uncertainty about whether or not we'll see the return of not only Chinese students but also other students into Australia when there's been such uncertainty around border openings and even issues like flight availability, what lockdowns have been like in Australia. So that may delay some return of students. One upside for Australia though is job prospects. We know a lot of foreign students come and learn in Australia because they can stay here and get a job afterwards. So that's still a really strong point for Australia. It looks like the labour market will be starting to rebound as we reopen here on the East Coast and job vacancies remain quite high. So I think that's a really important upside for a return of education exports once borders reopening and there's more certainty around the border. Yeah, look, absolutely, and I think everyone's looking for a little bit of clarity around, you know, what the international border reopening is actually going to look like and and what that means for the flow of people. I think as well, just your your point around, um, you know, students coming here and then as a a pathway to to stay here and work is an interesting one because, you know, when we think about the outlook for the labour market next year, well, clearly, you know, the extent to which students uh, arrive here is, is going to have an impact given a lot of those students actually end up picking up a job uh, while they're studying here, yeah. um, so look, lot, lot, lots of um, lots of things to watch there, and of course to kind of tie in the, the two notes. Um, clearly, the number of students that we get here relates to the housing market because all students need to uh, need to live somewhere, and that of course then then influences your demand for housing and in turn uh, housing rents. Look, um, team, it's been great to chat um, this morning and, and go through those notes. Um, for all our listeners, you can find a copy of the notes written by. Uh, Belinda, uh, Christina and, and, and Stephen on combankresearch.com.au uh, and, and finally just a little bit of housekeeping uh, where CBA data is referred to this means the proprietary data of the bank as the statistics take into account only the bank's data 
It may not reflect all trends in the market. All customer data used or represented is anonymised and aggregated before analysis and is used and disclosed in accordance with the bank's privacy policy. Thanks, everyone, for listening.